Every day, 130 Americans die from opioid overdose. Some of us are in invisible prisons today, even as we try to appear free. Sales of alcoholic beverages are up 55% compared to a year ago. I believe God's going to set you free. Welcome, friends, to another episode here on the Recovering Reality Podcast. I have my friend Nick Javis with me today. How are you, sir? I'm doing just fantastic. Thanks for asking. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm glad that you're coming on. Nick and I have been connecting for a little while, cut from the same cloth in many regards. I agree. Uh, and I'm excited to have you on, man, here a little bit about your your story been walking in recovery for a little bit and then also just maybe some some dialogue about the fact that there's many different paths to recovery mm -hmm. that there are there definitely is it's been my experience you know i've just seen people step into very powerful real recovery in lots of different ways Lots of different ways. Uh, yeah, so I'm excited to dialogue about it. I will say this quickly about that, starting with that really quick. I will say this, and we'll talk more about it. But when it comes to somebody not wanting to do AA or not wanting to do the, the more traditional, right? My experience has kind of been, we really, the most beneficial thing in that place is why. Why do you not want to do it this way? Why do you want to do it that way? Because people can, you know, step away from the traditional way of doing it, and they're doing it for all the wrong reasons. But I think when we sort of deviate, but we're doing it for the right reasons and still have the right uh, key components in place, people can really live with some very powerful recovery. And I'm finding more and more people are actually kind of in that spot. Where they're wanting to do it maybe a little different than the way it's been told to them. But they really genuinely want to get, they want to step into recovery. So I'm excited to hear your story, man, and a little bit of how that looked in your life. Yeah. Because <laughs> I know a little bit about the story. Uh, let's dive in, man. Tell us, tell us a little bit about, uh, about yourself and how, how that trap of addiction was set and how you fell into it in your life, man. <laughs> Cool. Well, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, I, I believe it to be a real honor and a privilege to be on the other side of death and addiction and insanity and having clear, sober, you know, conscious conversations uh, with people. So I guess anytime I have an opportunity to do that, I think it's a, a real honor. So thank you. Um, yeah, absolutely, man. It's a privilege. My story. Um, well, I was born in 19. No, uh, I, I refuse to start. <laughs> Some a story people start that way. there. Yeah. Some so people I'm, start there, man. I've been an hour and 15 minutes in before, and they're not even to like the part where they hit rock bottom yet. And I'm right. Like, I know. I have to cut this Dude, into two segments. <laughs> I will get to this later, but I'm, I'm a, I'm a 12 step guy. I was born and bred in the AA scene. I mean, I started going to AA meetings when I was 15 or 16 years old. Um, and, and around that lifestyle for, for my whole recovery. Um, and believe me, I've heard some, I've heard some talks and I've heard some stories and I've heard 
eight out of 10 people start with, well, I was born in, you know, and I'm like, when that starts, I'm like, oh man, okay. It's going to be long. But I refuse to do that. Um, mainly because I, I, I'm always trying to be a little different and, and I think it's more valuable to, uh, you know, put the focus elsewhere. I, I think it's really irrelevant when and where I was born. Um, I, I partly also think it's irrelevant. Um, what I did during my addiction and what I was addicted to and that whole process. Like I, I really mess people up when I, when I give a talk because it's so just different than what most people expect. I think, um, especially 12 step people. Like if I speak in 12 step meetings, like people heads are rolling, man. They're like, they don't, they, they just, uh, I'm not speaking the same language, but I get to use the same language they're using to like make my point. So that's, that's, that's where I have a good, uh, a good fine line there. But anyway, um, oh, that's good. I mean, it's good and it's true in AA, there is very much a culture. There's a specific way to think a specific way to talk a specific way to act to stay in the fellowship. Yeah. The club. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, well, it's a group. It's a group. And any any group, you know, has certain customs and processes and different things. And when you're a new person, um, that's sometimes helpful because it gives you a, a kind of a system to plug into. It's something that's already there. Especially of, early on. Yeah, you're, 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 you're at rock bottom or you're close to it. And you're thinking like, I don't know what I don't know what to do next. Like I need some answers here, you know, and that's kind of the place I like to start at. Right. Which is like 18 years old. I'm strung out on pharmaceuticals and all kinds of other stuff. I mean, I'm really, really call what I like to call. It's like just a garbage can. Like it really didn't matter. I went through different phases of different drugs, you know, all the way from, 13, 14 years old and into my teen, later teens. Um, and, you know, I'm getting in trouble with the law. Like my family life is all dysfunctional. My friends are dying. Like it, like nothing is going well in my life. Right. At 18 years old. And a lot of my people that I grew up with, not my close friends, but other people are like figuring out where they're going to go to college. And they're like trying to put their lives together. And I'm like, I'm trying to eject from the whole system, you know? Um, and I'm very much like anti the norm. I've said this already today, but I'm like, I'm as a kid, I'm just like, I'm always just not fitting in the box, you know? And I don't feel like I'm fitting in anywhere. And I'm finding this sort of home in the subculture of, addiction and drugs and music and and alcohol like just all the stuff that's like kind of glorified i think um from time to time but it, to me as a as a youngster it was very attractive you know it seemed like a place where i could thrive you know and and i did until i didn't right and then um my life is falling apart and i'm i don't know I don't know what to do, but I'm also like blaming everybody else for where I am and why I am yep. the way that I am. My schools, parents, judges, cops, like just everybody who's affecting me in some way, like 
it's their fault. Like they're the problem, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And so 18 years old, I find myself, you know, with a couple of felony charges and the judge is sending me, uh, or, or it's sort of this kind of get, get sober or, or go to jail essentially are my choices. And, um, now 18. So you had been in AA a little bit, at least you said like 15, 16. So he's been introduced to it a little time. Yeah. Some, some form of recovery. So yeah, it was like, it was mandatory. I think what happened was, I haven't talked about this or thought about it in a long time. Get your little paper initialed and signed. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I had gotten in trouble at school, I think. And part of that program that I was in there, I had to go to some meeting. It was like one meeting a quarter or something, something like really low. And uh, I had to get my paper signed. I think I went a couple of times and then I had, if I remember right now, think now that you mention it, uh, I think I had my, uh, my drug dealer sign it for me a couple of times. Uh, and that was like, I remember when he did it, I remember he did his signature and I was like, dude, are you like in the first grade? Like his like signature was just like, like a child drew it, you know? Um, anyway, yeah, I'm all the people, even you doing it and forging it of all the people you had your drug dealer forge. Yeah. That's comical. Yeah. That's how much I was into it. Right. That's how much I, I was willing to, to change. I like, I, I just wasn't ready. I wasn't, I didn't have any perspective on the consequences of my actions. You know, I didn't have any perspective on where I was going. I still needed, I still needed the drugs and alcohol as a fix, as a solution to the real problems that I was having. Um, and so, um, you know, again, 18 rolls around, I'm, I'm hitting these brick walls with the law and my family and just, you know, things are not, I'm losing my, my options, you know? And, um, so I basically, I agree to go and get, get into a treatment center. Um, and I go to a place, uh, it's a 30 day place in Utah actually. And then I go to sober living in LA, which is where I, I grew up and where I was living at the time. Um, and my thought was, or what I was told the plan was, was like treatment, sober living for about two or three weeks until your court date, see the judge, and then you're on your way. That's it. Well, um, the sober living that I ended up at was through a friend of mine who had gotten clean there uh, when we were like 15. He, he got started young uh, on this journey. That's wild. Getting sober yeah. at 15. Yeah. yeah. He's got like, he's got um, like 19 years now or something crazy like that. I'm not, I don't, I can't do the math at the moment, but anyway, it's like, it's stupid. Just, crazy. just the rarity of yeah. how many people where it's that bad of a problem at that age and yeah. then add to it that they actually have enough wherewithal and vision to say like, I'm going to die. Yeah. And I need to change right now. It's extremely, I mean, it's extremely rare that people even get sober and stick it in their, when they're in their twenties, Yeah, alone 15 or 18 or something. Yeah. So there you are in Los Angeles. 
in a sober living I'm home. in a sober living home mm-hmm. um with about 24 other dudes um on the west side of la and we are we're in a place that i didn't know at the time but is one of the more structured houses maybe in the country um definitely in that part of the world um very serious place and not in like the physical sense like there's some places that i've learned about since then that are like you know wilderness programs or like corporal Mm -hmm. punishment type i mean they get like gnarly stuff you know um this was not that but it was very very structured and very serious like do or die like that's the message you're gonna do this or you're gonna die and like do it our way or hit the road like you don't make your bed in the morning you're gonna make your freaking bed or you're you're getting the boot you know like there's no there's no um coddling going on you know and um which can be very much needed for some people especially in early recovery because responsibility and accountability is not not a not a daily habit or lifestyle sure you know um i'll share a quick quick kind of little story um because here i am at 18 and i'm walking into this thinking that i'm going to do a couple of weeks and and hit the road and go on about my life and get started right but little do i know that it's like very structured it's also like a 12 to 14 month program and the owner you were not told that no i didn't know that <laughs> i'm in i'm in like the middle of utah with i mean this was before cell phone like you know internet i mean there was internet and cell phones but i didn't i couldn't i had no idea um and i'm sober for the first time and i just like everything's so cloudy you know um and so the the owner of the place knows the judge that i'm seeing and it's all like connected and basically it's like okay you are going to finish that program basically finish the program then come see me and we'll handle your cases you know um but before the court date i'm there it's like the first night i'm getting assigned my my bunk bed right because all all the rooms had bunks i'll never forget this um because i'm walking in the door i'm like i i can't do this like this is not this is not gonna fly you know um and they show me where i'm gonna sleep and i and i'm in the very top room of the house right next to there's a sliding glass window and i'm on the top bunk they show me where the bed is and on the headboard um there's a sticker and now this is the kind of place where like you can't put stickers on stuff like there's that's just not gonna fly and i didn't know that at the time but i see the sticker and the sticker is Ibox Springs, which is a car suspension company. And the reason that's significant is because my stepdad was a graphic designer, and through the like '90s and in the 2000s, did marketing for Ibox Springs and actually made that logo that's on that sticker. And my like my childhood, I had jackets and stickers and all kinds of stuff with that logo on it because they would always have free stuff. And that 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 thing meant a lot to me. And as soon as I saw that, I'm like, okay, if all the beds and all the and the whole house and in all the houses in the in the LA area and all the world, like all the things that could have happened, right? 
that sticker is on that place where I'm supposed to be sleeping. And I'm just thinking that's a sign. Like I can't, I can't just ignore that. And I feel like for one of the first times in my life, I started really paying attention. I started being able to see, okay, there's a message that's coming to me that's not mine. Like I didn't create, I couldn't have possibly planned that. Right. And like it made it easy for me, at least at that night to say, okay, I'm going to stay here, you know, at least for today. Uh, a couple of weeks go by and I'm like, uh, I don't know if I can do this, whatever. Like I need, I needed, I almost need somebody to make this decision for me. Right. And then the judge says, you need to finish that program. You know, when I go to that court date a couple of weeks later, and then part of me was like mad because I'm rebellious and like, I don't want him to tell me what to do and force me into this thing. But the other part was like, I'm relieved. The decision is made. Like I, this is where I'm supposed to be now. Hmm. Um, say this real quick too. You know, it's that, that sticker thing. You know, God knows how to reach us. Right. And for the next person, maybe even your, you know, bunk mate, you know, underneath you said it was bunk beds, right? Mm -hmm. Probably something completely different, but at some point he was impacted in the same sort of way. And just the sticker, I just even look at it like, you know, God being our father and right on the headboard, there's a, there's a design from your father so to speak. Mm, so right. yeah. And God is our designer. And, you know, obviously maybe you weren't in a place to sort of piece all that together where you were at at 18 with this foggy view of the world and coming out of treatment and everything. But I look at it and it's, it all, I love to hear the stories because you hear these ways that God impacts us. He just knows exactly what we need. And it always looks a little different, but it's always, it's always love. Mm-hmm. It's always grace, but the details of it are always different. And I love hearing it. And something as simple as a, as a, a sticker, right. That has no business being on that headboard designed by your father and God just saying, you're right where you're supposed to be. I designed you. We're going to walk this thing out. Yeah. It gave I me this it. idea of security, right. And certainty that I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't know if I'm going to be okay. I don't know if this is the right decision that I'm making. Like, like, how am I supposed to know this is the right decision? And this is the very crux of what I want to share today is like, how do you know when it's the right decision? You know, there's infinite decisions that can be made at any given time. How do you know what the right one is, you know? And I can't answer that for anybody else but myself. But like, for me, that story is, was a turning point in my life where I started to, started to tune into that message. Like what's coming to me? What is it? That's how am I getting pointed in a different direction here? You know, and not necessarily by other people sometimes. Um, but when I, I guess what I'm getting at is like, when I know that I know, I know, like, I know. And, and maybe 
it takes a long time to get to that place before I decide on a certain thing. And I'll talk about that in a different context a little later, I think. But, you know, for me, um, that is crucial in finding the, the path that's, that I'm supposed to be on, no matter what it is, if it's recovery based or not, it really doesn't matter. It's like, this is my life and my journey spiritually, physically, mentally, all that stuff. Like all of that make, all of that takes decisions and action and different things to navigate. And before this situation that I'm talking about with the sticker, it was like, I didn't have any basis. I just reacted. Like there was no searching for answers. I was, you know, I'm just like reacting to the world around me ever from the time I can remember as a kid, like just reacting, you know, survival mode. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, just trying to, to just get out of any situation what I can for me and escape and stay alive. And yeah, I understand that, man. Yeah. So <clears throat> From this point forward, you know, I don't have all the answers, but, you know, I start on this path of um, getting clean and going to AA meetings and sponsor, getting a sponsor and going through the steps and doing, plugging into the system that was there for me in the, in the West side of LA, which was, you know, the sober living that I was in, the support group I was building, going to meetings, meeting people. Um, just getting very into that scene. Uh, I was, you know, started working, had a job, whatever. And then, uh, this is another huge part of my story is, um, the manager of the house, he was there about five years and just one day he was gone, you know? And, um, the owner was like, I need a manager. And he's looking at me. I think I'm like seven or eight, maybe nine months clean at that time. Still, I guess I'd be 19 years old at the time. Um, and he gave me a job working as the manager of this house, um, which is, you know, very, it's very much like the manager and then him as the owner. And now I'm overseeing these 24 guys who are all pretty much older than me. And I'm running a recovery. I'm running this highly structured long-term recovery house at 19 years old with nine months clean. I think, I think looking back, he just needed to like throw a body in a chair, you know, and like fix the problem. Um, yeah, but there was 24 other people. He just wanted to throw someone in. He saw something in you. Well, of course he did, but you know, that was a lot of responsibility for, Oh, I'm sure for me at the time. Um, I'll say this real quick. You know, I've, in AA and recovery in Southern California is, is different. Yeah. You know, I got clean and sober in San Diego and they take it very serious. You're going to go anywhere you go. You're going to find people take it serious and don't, it doesn't matter right. where you are in, in, right. in rural middle of nowhere. You're going to find an AA meeting. You'll be able to find somebody that takes it serious. That will help you. Right. Southern California is different though. There's meetings all day, every day. There's tons of people who are very solid that all they do is help newcomers. Uh, there's a variety of meetings. And I look back and it was exactly what I needed to start as well. I got out of my environment, which was Utah. Uh, I lived there. You went to treatment there. I lived there and went to treatment there once. 
um, I had to, I had to get out of what I knew. And when I got into Southern California, it was, uh, AA is a big part of my story. The first year, year and a half, I, that structure, the community, the accountability, the consistency, just growing and like, uh, foundational spiritual principles and learning how to implement in my life. And Southern California, if you're serious, you're really ready is a spot where you're going to find some people who are very serious take recovery very serious that's it's sure. different down there for sure oh yeah and there's a lot of it there's a lot of a lot of people and there's a lot of meetings and there's meetings about any kind of topic that you could possibly think of and any kind of setting you could possibly think of midnight meetings candlelight meetings like seven or eight of them to choose young people from meetings yeah five it's, ten minutes from your house yep yeah outside no i went to a meeting one time in west hollywood that was like anything goes like if like people heckle each other like like you heckle the speaker you yell at them like there's no like order to the whole thing like it was this nuts uh, i don't even know if it's still going on but that'd be entertaining yeah. but it would take a lot of people that were comfortable in their sobriety you can't be yeah. heckling people or it was right next to a bar. Like it shared a hallway with a bar. Like it was just, it was a, it was a circus, man. Um, so let me ask you this. There you are. You're just turned 19, right? You're, you're, you're 19. What, what eight, nine months sober or something you said in this really structured sober living, you're getting your feet under you, uh, in life. Maybe, you know, people use the term rehabilitation, Mm -hmm. oftentimes people have never even been habilitated. They're not rehabilitating anything. They're learning how to do it for the first time. Totally. Is what they're learning. Uh, and my, my guess is that's exactly what was happening in your life and it's happening. Um, pick it up right there, man. So all of a sudden you blink your eyes and you're in charge of a bunch of people's recovery. And my guess would be you were either the youngest or one of in the house as well what was that like what was taking that on uh what was that like it was exhilarating i mean it was scary um but i'd already you know i say that like it was a lot of responsibility but i was already like pretty well respected you know i've been there nine months or whatever it was at the time and and in that environment like you're already like giving feedback you're already like just everybody knows each other like very deeply. Right. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like I had to walk into a, you know, a room that I'd never been in and start telling people what to do. Cause it, it, I'd already kind of established myself there, but there were new people that would come in and some guys are 50 plus years old and they've been drinking longer than I've been alive. And like, they're like, well, what do you know? You know? And like, I battled with that for, for a long time. Um, but again, it was, I think I could, the, the best thing I can say was it was, it was exhilarating. I was like, I found, I found a way that I can channel this, I don't know, gift that I have to, to speak and talk to people and kind of pull ideas together and concepts and, and move people from point A to point B and not in a way that I feel like is, you know, aggressive or violent or whatever. In a way where right? people follow and they receive yeah, it's, it's communication leadership. Yeah. yeah. So leadership. Um, and so I was always all in, dude. I tell this, this story 
just to preface like, you know, kind of what it was like, but I think my second week on the job, uh, we had a guy in the house who was 17 and we didn't actually take people under 18, but that was an exception. And, um, there was one, one, your second uh, week in the house, your second week is second week as a manager. Okay. Second week on the job. And you know, again, 14 month program and this kid who's 17, uh, it's a Saturday and every Saturday is like family group day where all the families come. And that particular day they're telling young, I'll call him Steven, uh, that he's not coming home and he's going to have to stay here in Liberty or, uh, at this house and, um, 14 months for 12 to 14 months. And he wasn't planning on that. And so little Steven decides that he's going to pull a maneuver and get up in the middle of the whole group, walk to the kitchen, pull out a giant butcher knife and run out the door. And the whole room, like you can just feel like the, 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 just the pressure in the room. And, um, I'm looking around like, you know, you're up, the staff people you're at? the manager. Yeah, it's you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so everyone's I looking up, at you, the leader. <laughs> I get up and I follow him out the back door, out of the side door. And we're standing on the street and he's holding this butcher knife to his wrist. And he's saying, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Like, I'm not staying here, blah, 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 blah. And, and, and then it starts this kind of dialogue between me and him, this negotiation of like, you know, dude, this is. I don't even remember what I said to the guy, but it was something along the lines of like, it's going to be okay. Like this, this, this is not going to help you. Like, you know, uh, what you're doing is, is, uh, I honestly don't remember what I said to the guy, but it ended in this resolution of him dropping the knife and, you know, it all kind of worked out. And I just remember it thinking, worked out. Sounds like it could have been horrific, but it, it could have been, I was scared, but, it, but at the end of it, I was like, wow, what a rush. Like this was just, I just saved this dude's life for while I knew, you know, I mean, could it all been a manipulation, which it probably was, but at any rate, like, I'm like, I just get this rush of, wow. Like I just, I just did that, you know? Um, and so that whole experience just, it started a journey in working in long-term structured sober living, you know, and, um, I eventually, you know, I get a year clean, I go back to the judge, all that stuff gets dropped or whatever. And then, um, the owner of this house wants to get some places going in Kentucky, which is where he was from originally. And, um, you know, I'm like, let's go, you know, let's, let's do it. Let's, I'm all, I've always wanted, I always wanted to get out of LA for whatever reason. I was just like, I, I just needed to get out and I, I, and I just needed to move, you know? And so I had that opportunity and I thought, let's give it a shot. If I don't like it, I'll just come back. Um, and I did that and I, and I worked in that space, um, all the way until 2017. So we got 2000, late 2008 to 2017, um, of just working with guys, working in recovery homes and sponsoring guys and going to meetings and doing the AA stuff, but doing it in a very structured, like, this is the way to do it, you know, and telling people this is the way to do it. And this is what you need to do and blah, 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 you know? 
Um, so I am a product of the opposite of what we had started talking about, like finding your own path. Like I got clean and started in my career with like, this is how you do it. Like, I don't care what you think, like, this is the path, you know? And, um, I eventually 2017 rolls around. Um, there's no fire burning in me anymore to do this work. Like I'm just so gone. I'm beyond burned out. I'm beyond burned out. Like I'm about ready to use or do something crazy, you know? And, um, I'll just, I want to just say this real quick. And I think we've talked about this, you know, <clears throat> the people who are on the front lines doing that work are vital to this real fight against addiction. And granted, there's people on the front lines doing some work and they don't take it very seriously. And truthfully, maybe they're not, that's not the seat they should be in, you know, like, but you got other people who are in that spot who are really good at it. They help a lot of people. And they get burned out, they get worn out, they relapse, they're just so much is expected of them. And honestly, the position that many of them get for work in the recovery world doesn't pay that well, doesn't pay that well at all. And a, so much is required of them. And you're constantly shouldering crisis, trauma, to pro it's, it's these intense situations, all the time, emotionally, mentally, Always, you know, there's never like a moment where some crazy thing couldn't pop off, like a dude running out of a meeting with a butcher knife saying, I'm going to kill myself if I have to go home. That's a little dramatic. I'm sure that's the only time you faced that. But these crazy situations. No, I wasn't actually. You faced it another time where someone grabbed a All knife. All kinds of stuff like that. Themselves? I mean, people, people take it to the extreme. Mm-hmm. When, you know, like not the exact situation, but very similar energy. Like it, it wasn't, wasn't uncommon, you know? Yeah. And just, just to finish that point, it's like people really need to think through, you know, like you got some States and some places where like they, they, they have job offerings for people to be a full time. All you do all day is work with people who are just, you know, in the court system or stuff. And they want to pay them like 15 bucks an hour. And then you wonder why you don't keep anybody. And you wonder why it's so hard to fill that position. Cause it's a really hard job. So if you find someone that's good at it, pay them more, a lot more, cause they're a lot more, they're a lot more important to this fight than people realize is the truth. Um, felt good getting that out. I've said it many times, but <laughs> I have seen that happen so many times. Uh, and those people are vital that are good on the front lines and want to do it. So I, I'm not surprised that there you are years and years into it. You're like, and I'm done with this. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, I, I get it. I really, really do, man. I'm, and I've lived through a little bit of it as well. But so there you are in 2017 wanting to be done. What's the, what's the next installment? What's the next chapter? I go on a sabbatical. I, I quit. I leave four months. I'm on the road, take a road trip. My wife and I actually, we get married in Vegas. We elope. We like, we just run away. Like that's the only answer that we had at the time. And, and here's, Here's, I've studied this a lot because I've had to reflect on what happened so many times. And I told you the story about the sticker on the headboard and how I saw the sign of what decision that I needed to make. <clears throat> that stopped happening. Like I, 
not that I stopped getting the messages, but I stopped either paying attention or I stopped acted on acting on them. And I got locked into this, like just day to day pouring into other people, uh, working, trying to manage life, trying to keep it together, like paying bills and just, just keeping it together instead of looking at what is it that I'm really supposed to do and evolve into from here? You know, like I, I was so focused on keeping people into this structure of recovery, like, Hey, this is how it's done. Like I was keeping myself in that same box. I couldn't, I couldn't like get any other messages because I wasn't giving any other messages. Like it's all the same thing day in and day out, six days a week, 60, 70 hours a week, like and off times and meetings, like just the whole thing, you know? And so, um, I, I know intuitively in 2017, like I can't do this anymore, but then the question is always like, well, what am I going to do? And I didn't have that answer. And, um, I was too, I was too cloudy from all of that lack of self-care that I had been, you know, going through for years. Yeah, uh, take a step back and recalibrate. I could, yeah. The path in front of you. I was so cloudy. Uh, we've talked a lot about rest, you know, I don't, I could not rest. There was no resting, you know? Um, so yeah, we just kind of hit the eject button and, um, you know, a few other things happen here and there, but basically my wife and I, we end up in St. Louis, Missouri, which is near where her family's from because there were a few things that presented themselves that were like, this is a sign, like you need to make this move, you know, you need to come here. And then, so you take a step back and try and rest a little bit and then you start seeing the signs. Yeah, exactly. Right. The writing is on the wall and, yeah. and you, you we think can the start signs were there the whole time. You just couldn't see them. I mean, probably, I don't think that those things, I don't think that, you know, God, uh, I don't think that that just, I don't think we get ignored, you know, I think that, um, it's a very simple, good way to put it. I just, I was too, too rigid and I was too locked into, to what I thought I believed and also what other people believed. And I was, I was too tied into that, you know? Um, so I'm in St. Louis, um, and uh, I just, I kind of emerged maybe from this, this period of burnout and this period of confusion as far as what I want to do with my life and who I am and what makes me tick and all this stuff. And, and uh, it's all swirling around and it just outcomes a book that I wrote. And then out comes some ideas and different plans and different possibilities and a new career and just, you know, relationships and just all this stuff that like literally did not exist. And then, you know, poof, a couple months or maybe a year or two goes by and like this whole new life has, has stopped, has created, you know, um, I'll give you one example of, of how quick things, and I tell this to all kinds of people, um, how quick things can change. So in St. Louis, I'm working a landscaping job uh, literally digging ditches for a living. Cause I'm just like, I don't want to deal with people. I want to just work outside and like get a shovel and just dig, you know, like I don't want to deal with people's problems, you know? Um, 
that lasted, I don't know, six months. And I'm like, I now I need to do something different. Like I got to get out of this environment. Like there's a lot of negativity here. It just, it, I could tell that this was not the space that I needed to stay in. And, um, I had a dream about real estate and I had a dream about like learning about real estate and, and investing and all that stuff. And I, and a dream I would, while you were awake or while you were sleeping while I was awake, uh, you know, vision. Um, and, uh, and so I pursued a company there in St. Louis and, um, you know, it took them a couple months to like get back to me on a job opening and all this stuff. Um, but, but literally one day in October, I'm digging ditches, backbreaking work for real and making, I don't even know, not much, just enough to get by if that, and I think a week later, maybe two, I'm being flown to Nebraska on a private jet. Like I'm, I'm like in the, it's not my jet. Uh, I didn't pay for it, but I'm getting flown to this place to go, you know, look at this real estate. And I'm like alone by myself on this jet. And I'm thinking, holy crap. I mean, like life just changed in an instant, you know? And, um, and it was a result of, you know, obviously a lot of things outside of my control, but like following that intuitive path, that, that little signal, that little sign, that little feeling, or that huge banner on the wall that says like, go this way, you know? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, that's what started to come alive again for me um, in 2017 in St. Louis. And so like... Um, I'll, I'll, I'll like, and it just keeps developing from there. This like, you know, I'm in a season of life where I'm, um, I know that recovery coaching and getting back into sober living work as a consultant now is like the right path for me. Like the signs are coming. Like I know, I don't know how it's all going to play out in the long run. Uh, but I know that that's my path at this season of life. And so if I can kind of like tie all that together in two different concepts, um, the first one is like seasons of life. Like everybody, I'll speak for myself. I go through all kinds of different seasons of life. Like I've been through all the seasons that I've been through thus far. And each season requires different things. You know, it's either more family, less family, more work, less work, more money, less money, more time, less time, like there's just different requirements, you know? And so if I can be honest with myself about what season of life that I'm in, then I know, I know what I need, or I know if what's being presented to me is the right thing or not. Um, there was a season of life in St. Louis where like, I didn't go to AA meetings anymore because uh, a couple of real close friends that I had, they moved away. Like a couple of them died. Like it just, we moved towns. We had a baby. Like I looked around and I'm like, Oh, all the AA people that I was hanging out with are gone. Like, and now it's me and my wife and our new son. And this is what I need to be focusing on. Like this, this is the season of life that I'm in now is being a dad and being home and giving all of that to my family at that time. And, um, that went against this idea of like, if you don't go to meetings, you're going to get drunk. You know, you don't go to meetings, you're going to get high, which is what had been implanted in my brain for 
I don't know, 10 years at that point. Since day one. Yeah. Of, of AA. Let me, I, I was just going to ask you this and you just touched on it. Let, let me just ask you this. So what would you say to the person and, you know, what would it look like in your life from, from that go to meetings or you're going to die, you know, into transitioning into not going to meetings anymore and having good recovery and what did it look like, like the daily spiritual maintenance, so to speak, to still stay in that really good place? Because but let me just say this as well. Anyone that's listening, I'm not telling you not to go to AA. I'm not alluding it. I'm not suggesting it. Nothing. So don't say you heard it. And now I can go do this on my own. But I will say this as well. I know many, many people who start in AA and transition out and never go back and live very powerful, amazing lives. I know some people that do it and they don't as well. It screws everything up, but your path and your journey has looked good and you continue to progress. You're healthy. Your family is. So maybe just speak into it a tiny bit. Like what did that look like for you? And what did recovery, spiritual maintenance, some of that language, what did that begin to look like for you apart from going to meetings all the time? Honestly, for me, it looked the same as it did before I stopped going to meetings. Like it, nothing changed. And the reason is because when I was going to meetings at that time, I, I honestly, I never had like a root, a spiritual routine that I had, like get up at this time and I pray and this is what I do. And like, that's just not my experience thus far. I've never had that. And so all that happened was I just stopped going to meetings in the evening time when I would have gone and connecting with those people for that hour and a half or whatever. Like that's not spiritual maintenance. Um, that is like community and, you know, growing and learning and all that stuff that I get when I go to a meeting, hopefully. Um, but I always just come back to myself and I ask the question like simply, do I feel like I'm growing, you know, because day-to-day life to me is a spiritual experience. Like there's opportunity to grow. There's things that I'm healing from like recovery is not sobriety. And I make this very clear distinction with people that I work with. It's like, it's good. It's true. Recovery is equals to me healing and growth and like, everybody's healing from something like I'm healing from something that happened earlier today. I'm growing out of that experience. And like, if I'm aware of it and I'm intentional about it, like I'm growing spiritually every day, whether I go to a meeting or I don't, um, a 12 step meeting can be just a vehicle for how I jumpstart that process, or I remind myself about it, or it just becomes, you know, a community and it's a support, support piece, but like life is life. Like it's happening all day, every day, whether I go to a meeting or not, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to really mess 12 step people up here by saying like, what's not talked about is what's on the back of every anniversary coin that you would probably get at an AA meeting. And that says to thy own self be true. Shakespeare. Yeah. So that comes first and foremost, you know, that comes priority over what my sponsor thinks or what my coach thinks or what my wife thinks like to thy own self be true comes from 
deep in here and it comes from God and it's like, it's all wrapped in that package. And if I feel like I need to be somewhere else in this moment, then that's what I feel like is the right choice for me. If I feel like I need to stay put, if I, if I feel like I need someone to tell me what to do, well, then that's still coming from within me. Right. Um, it can't be in reverse. It just can't in my experience. And I'm seeing that over 15 years plus of long-term structured living, sober living, working with people from day one to day 500, you know, and beyond, like, it's just, I see it all play out and telling people what to do doesn't work. Like it just doesn't work. It's like a bandaid. It's a quick fix. No, it, it, it definitely doesn't. Uh, I think there's a time and, and place for it where people need to hear like, Hey, you need to do this, but that but it eventually has to, the time. it eventually has to land in a place where people are empowered to make the decision for themselves. Yeah. And if somebody's, if, if somebody's really going to put some weight on your words, if you tell them what to do, there's already some relationship established right. and that's not your typical mode of operation. Like when you're interacting with that person, it's not just tell them what to do all day long. It has to be questions and it has to be an example of showing them how to actually live this way on a daily basis. It has to be. Um, you know, man, I love hearing your story. I think it's, I think it's more important than people realize in this day and age, because there's, as we know, the addiction epidemic is worse than it's ever been and getting worse on a, basically a daily basis. There's endless people that want, recovery need it um but because they think it has to look a specific way they don't do it or because all they've been told is well you just have to go to meetings and you have to do this and that stuff's beneficial it it was extremely beneficial for me early on i stepped away from it and my life has grown ever since but it was beneficial for me but just for anyone that's listening um like what would you say to that? You know, you mentioned like to your own self be true, but w- w- what piece of advice would you give to that person outside of what you've already said that is doing the AA thing, they're doing the NA thing, and you know, everyone just keeps telling them, like, well, if you leave, you're gonna die. Um, and people listen and maybe haven't been to meetings think, well, oh, they don't say that. No, that's exactly what they say. <laughs> A lot of people, that's exactly what they say. What would you say to the person who's like, you know, I feel like this has served its purpose. Uh, I want to venture out into other things, but I, I don't know how or, or what to do. What would be some simple advice you would give to that person who does have some like solid recovery and at the same time is saying like, I'm done with this. I want to step into something new. What would you say to that person? Yeah, I mean, that's the place that I meet people a lot when I'm, you know, coaching them or I'm just meeting people in general. It's like that transition point And, you know, generally I would say like that person is seeking, like they're obviously seeking something else, continue to seek, like don't stop seeking, you know, and when you find what you're looking for, I'm sure you'll find it. Um, but don't stop seeking, you know, um, if that's what's driving you, don't run away, you know, um, but seek you know and then the other side of that coin is like i challenge people and i think like if you really pause and really stop and really listen 
you probably already know what to do. You probably already have had a vision of what your life is going to look like in the next chapter. Like you at least have something, like at least a part of it. It's in there somewhere. Uh, maybe it's just not being, you know, doesn't have space because so many people are telling you what to do or you're in a stressful life situation or you're busy or you're whatever. Whatever it is that you don't have or aren't making space for, like, that is where that vision can breathe and grow. Two things can occupy the same space, right? So, like, if I want a new life, like, I have to kind of ditch part of the old one or all of it if I want it to replace it with something new. So making space and thinking about reflecting, working with somebody to bounce stuff off of like, what do I see as the next place that my life goes to? Or what does that look like? How does that feel? Like something is in there, you know, um, or else you wouldn't be seeking, right? Like people wouldn't be looking for something different if they didn't feel like there was something different. So, um, my suggestion is just to simplify it even more, like make space for that thing to come alive and present itself. And when it comes, you'll know if you're playing by, you know, to thy own self be true. Yeah, man, it's good. I, I would, I would add this too. you know, um, a lot of times and you touched on it. A lot of times people are already hearing from God and they don't realize it. Right. Um, and just being in a place where I don't know exactly how my future is going to pan out. I have a vision. I'm working towards it. Like my own personal business and family, there's goals. We're going somewhere. Right. I don't know everything that's going to happen. Right. But if I know God enough, my own personal life, I know I'm going to be all right. No matter what I'm going to be all right. I'm going to go this direction. He's going to help me, whatever pops up. Um, who am I trusting as I'm walking that way? Um, like it's a big one. The other one, and again, you touched on it, is just we still got to be connected. Got to yeah. be connected. Coach, friend, therapist, counselor, mentor. Yeah. Church, a men's group, whatever, yeah. whatever it is, that connection staying in place and trusting that God's going to be with me no matter where it is I'm going. A lot of people venture out and 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 still incorporate a lot of things that were learned in there because there is a lot of good stuff and venture out on their path. And I've just seen people thrive, man. Thrive, yeah. yourself being one of them. Um, but it is, it's, it's a question someone's got to ask themselves. To thine own self be true is, is, a, is a is a very good way to say it, seeing as how it is on the back of that coin. <laughs> I would ask, you know, one of the things I would ask them is why? Are you running away? Are you running away from something or are you running to something? Right. There's a difference. There's a big difference. Mm -hmm. There's avoidance and then there's, you know, growth and progress and recovery. I mean, essentially, if you think about a disease, if you're not recovering, you're getting sicker, you know, are you, which way are you going? It's good. You got to go one way or the other eventually. That's good, man. We could keep talking for a while. We do. We could talk for days, days, hours, you know, weeks. It's it's the truth, man. No more I, to come. And I, I feel like oftentimes we, you know, have someone on or have a conversation, you really start digging into it and you're like, man, we just we just got warmed up. <laughs> yeah. We just got warmed up. I do appreciate you coming on. 
You know, I, I really do mean it. Um, people that can <clears throat> be real and open about their story and articulate it well, uh, it does powerful things for people that are listening. They can see a little bit further down over here. There's somebody else that's done it. It's possible. They're doing it well. I can do this too. I can do this too. So I appreciate you coming on, sharing about it, man, articulating it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great. Uh, if someone's interested in get, getting in contact with you, how, how would they do that, sir? How would, how would somebody <laughs> I, contact you, follow you? How would they do that? I knew you'd ask me that. Um, of course, man. Because I'm a mysterious guy. I don't have a website. I don't have all these things. Um, you do have a podcast. I'm, I do have a podcast. It's called Empowered Recovery, mm -hmm. which is all of the things I just talked about and more. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm on Facebook, um, but you know, you'll hear me around. That's, that's, that's my, uh, you'll see me, you'll hear me. Um, my website's in the works. It's getting worked on right now, but I'd look up the empowered recovery podcast. Um, if, if, uh, if you want to hear more of what I'm talking about and what message I'm, I'm shouting out from the rooftops, uh, that's where I'm, I'm doing it these days. So. Um, I very much try to go deep with relationships instead of wide, you know? Um, so I love if any of this rings true for somebody to like reach out, like let's start a conversation and, 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 um, you know, see what we can help each other with. That's ultimately what we're doing here. So. It's good, man. Go check out the podcast guys. Well, my friend, until next time, you. until next time. Thank which you. Will, yeah, you're very welcome, which will be very soon. Uh, and any of you guys listening as well, you know, if this, this, uh, message here really impacted you share it with a friend, reach out, tell Nick, thank you. Uh, it goes a long way. So again, man, appreciate you. We'll talk real soon. Thank you, man. Talk to you later. Yep, and thank you guys for joining us here on another episode of the Recovering Reality Podcast. Thanks for joining us, guys, on the Recovering Reality Podcast. If you or a loved one is struggling in addiction or in your recovery, please reach out, guys. Get the support and the help that you need. You can reach us at info at recoveringreality.com. Let's get you the help that you need so you can get your life back. And guys, you can jump over to the website, tons of free content to help you walk out your recovery in a healthier, happier way. We are also training and equipping, certifying recovery coaches and launching them into the marketplace to help more people recover from this disease of addiction. Thanks for joining, guys. Catch you on the next podcast.